Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. The new series we're starting today is called The Family Circus. The Family Circus. Now, whether you've gone to Barnum & Bailey Circus or Universal Circus or Cirque du Soleil, one of the things you notice about circuses, there's always a lot going on. There's rarely just one thing. You have to look at the whole arena, the three rings, how many rings there are, to see all the things that are going on. Depending on the circus, there could be clowns, there could be acrobats. I remember one of the Universal Soul Circus, and they had those motorcycles inside that cage. There is always something going on, right? There's always multiple things to grab your attention, and you're bouncing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There's so much going on in a circus. But you know, that sounds a lot like life. There's always something going on. And in our circus tent, because you know, I did think about putting up a tent up here. Y'all know that, right? I did a simpler prop. I thought about a tent. I had looked at Amazon for, you know, a ringmaster outfit. I looked at a lot of things. So you guys already know I like my props. And so in life, you got to work, whether you're working from home or working in person. If you got kids, they got school, and you got to look at that math homework. So why did you change math in the first place? But you got to figure out how math works now. You should got be healthy. Here's one of my protein bars. Maybe you got to find time for the gym somewhere. Man, money is important. There's my wallet. Oh, did I eat today? Yep, I should eat something today. Oh, what else we have in here? Man, that's a prayer journal. Maybe I should pray today. That could, you know, that could work. Oh, there's so much other stuff with life. Here's that. Ooh, this phone. Social media. Relationships. A whole bunch of text messages. Did I talk to my family today? Did I talk to my friends today? Is my boss still calling today? Did I drink water today? I know I had coffee, but did I? When's the last time I drank some water? There is always something going on, and there's always a lot going on. But you know, in a circus, no matter how many rings and activities there are, how many know there's at least one person who knows what's going on? There's one person in control. It's the ringmaster. Although this may be the greatest show, and some of you with your, facial, your faces right now, it is the greatest show because y'all are acting a nut in the car. <laughs> and so right now, smiling, looking spiritual, this is your greatest show. You may not be able to sing and dance like they did on the movie, but this is your greatest show. Because there's a lot going on. But even though there's a ringmaster in the circus, there should be a ringmaster in your life. Now, I know I'm going to ask you this question. You can give me the good churchy Sunday school answer. Well, who's the ringmaster in your life? What are you guys going to say? Y'all so spiritual, so churchy this morning. Good job, everybody. Good job. But how many know we say Jesus is Lord? That word Lord means supreme in authority. That means you got to do what he says. In order to do what he says, you got to read what he said. 
Because a lot of times, and I'm talking about the world, I'm talking about the church, we look at everything else but what he said. Some of us quote our favorite political candidate more than we do the Bible. I don't know how they could vote for somebody else. Easy. They did it. Why are you tripping over someone else's vote? You pay attention to your vote. Because when it's all said and done, especially don't get in a fight with other believers about how they're voting. Now, with all due respect to all the candidates running, most likely, unless you know them personally, if something happens in your life, they ain't showing up for you personally. They ain't calling you, they ain't, no, they will text you right now because they want you to show up to vote. I'm so ready for my political text to be stopped. Because I'm of that personality, and I use self-control, guys. I like to respond sometimes. And I did it a couple years ago. I started texting all my friends. I said, this is Carrick Butler from the Purple Rain Party. I would like to know all these different things. And I'm, just, I'm extra sometimes. That's why y'all to pray for me. And I did good this year. I didn't respond to anybody's political text messages. I'm getting from multiple states. It's like, I don't even live in this state. How do you have my number? But when it comes to your everyday life, they're probably not going to text you to see how you're doing. They ain't going to be the ones who pray for you. They pray in general if they're praying people, but they're not calling you, checking up on you, serving with you at church. So maybe you shouldn't get in political fights with the people who are in your faith family. Maybe, just maybe, you can agree to disagree, even if you're right. So that means you want people in this church with multiple parties? Yes, because before we're part of a party, we bow down to the Lamb. So there will be differences of opinion in the house of God. Because you know what's something about the house of God? When you follow Jesus, Jesus brings together people who don't always get along. Has anybody noticed that? That he likes to do that, bring people together who don't get along. You say, well, no, we don't. Look at the disciples, the apostles, because there's a lot of people who were close to Jesus in that time. But look at the 12 apostles and read through the gospels how many times they were getting into a fight and how many times Jesus had to calm the fight. He did throughout the Gospels. Some of the apostles were teenagers. Some of them were older and married. They have different generational opinions, and yet Jesus is the one calling them to stop fighting. Because, you know, one of the things I said about James and John, their mama went to Jesus to ask a question. So this lets you know how young they were that their mama got involved in their business and asked the question. And she asked a question that the other ten was like, man, we should have asked that question. And then Jesus has to calm them all down. He has to talk to the mama, then talk to James and John, then talk to Peter who's upset and all the rest. So Jesus has a habit of bringing people together who don't always get along. And if you know that, and you know that you ain't perfect because there's only one perfect person, his name is Jesus, you have to show everyone grace. So I can't, I don't know how they made that decision. Well, you've made some questionable decisions in your past and in your presence. Would you like everyone to look at your life the way they look at political candidates' life? Hmm. Some of you looking at me just look straight forward. You need to delete your browser history. But I'm gonna leave that alone for today. Oh, just let you know, I am coming for you in this series. And so, if Jesus really is our Lord, that means we have to yield to what he says. But also, when we look at the word, we see in what he says, and we are used to going to Ephesians 5, and we'll eventually get there today, eventually, hopefully, sometime. 
But we see in the word, there are guiding principles to that. There are guiding principles in the word of God, but there are also specific applications for your life. Because we can talk about loving everyone. It's like, well, I need to love them. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to go home and love my spouse. Well, how? In what way? So we have to look at these guiding principles of the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to lead us how to specifically apply it, because if not, it'll just be a circus with no ringmaster. Can you imagine a circus that had no ringmaster? All those a lot, but there's no one actually in control. The lion will be eating the clown. The elephant is set loose, all in the peanuts. The motorcycles are going everywhere. It would be chaos. And I shared this at the marriage conference yesterday. I said, I want to get you guys from crisis to consistency. Because so many of us have been living from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis before the pandemic. But then in the pandemic, we learned how to live in the midst of crisis. But now that that time has passed, we're still doing crisis management. Do you know what happens if you don't heal from the crisis you went through? You will create another crisis. If you don't learn from the crisis you went through, you will create another one, and you'll have crisis after crisis after crisis when that's not God's will for your life. Even when we look at the life of Jesus, it says, remember, when he was walking the earth, he was target number one. You understand that, right? Satan aimed everything he had at Jesus. But even when he was attacking Jesus, he said he would leave him for a time. So that means Jesus' life, even in ministry, wasn't under constant attack. There were breaks. So Jesus didn't go from crisis to crisis. There were breaks. Jesus, the Son of God, even took vacations. Did you know that? You guys really got to read the gospel. He took vacations. Even though he's here, he has a three-year window to save the world. He took a vacation. So maybe you should take a break and rest. Well, how about this? Maybe you should learn how to rest. Because you can take a vacation and never actually rest. There's a spiritual side of rest that if you don't get the spiritual side of rest, your natural rest won't be worth anything. You won't be able to sleep. You may be on vacation, but you can't sleep because you're still worried about everything going on at home. There's rest that flows from God, and when you actually put his principles in action, you can actually have rest in your everyday life. But that doesn't mean you don't work. Because some people say, oh, I just want to experience the rest of God. I ain't going to work. No, you need to work. You know, that's one we'll read in, in a moment. That was one of Paul's messages to the Thessalonian church. Work. Stay out of other people's business. Get your own job. Pay your own bills. Stop being nosy. That's really what he's telling the Thessalonians. So there is a balance of work and rest. And we have to learn it from listening to the Spirit of God who lives on the inside of us. Because so many of us have learned work and rest from the culture, work and rest from how we grew up. And it's good if they taught you right. But if you didn't learn right, how many know you need to relearn? Or you can just blame everybody for decades what they didn't teach you, and now you're 95 and didn't learn. Well, my parents didn't teach me. Okay, your parents lived a century ago. We need you to kind of learn something by now. Well, First Thessalonians, that's right. I even read my script. First Thessalonians, yes, circus time. First Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 1. 
I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. One of the things you see about the church in Ephesus and the church in Thessaloniki, these were really positive churches. And so even when Paul's teaching them, he's encouraging them, he's correcting them, but most of the stuff he has to say about them is really good. He gives glowing compliments to these two churches. Now, when you read the letters to the Corinthians, that wasn't the case. And he had some correcting to do. Read the letter to 1 Corinthians. He corrected them for six chapters before he ever answered question one. And so what we're reading today in Ephesians and Thessalonians is messages to a churches who were doing their best to do it right. But notice what he says to them. You're already living for God, but do it even more. Say, do it even more. Come on, say it again and put it in the chat. Say, do it even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy. Say, holy. Come on, online, say, holy. Come on, let's say that again and put it in the chat. Say, holy. Now, when I talk about this, I need some more amens than just Minister Isom. He will shout me down up here. He will help me out. But I need the rest of you to amen me when I talk about holiness. Because although we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, our conduct should be holiness. God has called us to be holy, not whole-like. He called us to be holy, but we make excuse for sexual immorality. Well, it's 2022, Jesus, I got needs. And I'm not just talking to young people or to specific gender. I'm talking about every age group in this room. He has called us to be holy. As Paul told the Corinthians, run from sexual immorality. He didn't say rebuke it. He didn't say pray against it. He didn't say confess against it. He said hightail it out of there. But for a lot of people in the church, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about church people. People who said Jesus is their Lord. We're not trying to run from it. We're trying to see how close can I get without it being sin. And you have to understand that sexual immorality hurts you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that it damages your own body. He talks about it being a sin, a spiritual sin that actually hurts your own flesh. But one of the things you have to understand about sexual immorality, not only will it hurt you, it sets up generational trouble for three to four generations after you. So that means your grandchildren or great-grandchildren can be born with a fight that is not their fault because you can't keep your pants up. Holiness has generational benefits. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. What is it? All of it. All of it. So that means there's some Instagram accounts you probably shouldn't be following. There's no reason for you to have an OnlyFans account. And there's no reason for you to be on OnlyFans.
You know what TikTok videos you be watching, you need to stop. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. So when it comes to that way of living, do you live like people who know God? Or as Paul said, pagans who don't know God nor his ways. Well, I'm an American. I can make whatever decision I want. Yeah, and get the results of Americans. Don't let this culture deceive you. God is not mocked. What does Galatians says? Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Those who sow to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption or ruin, but those who sow to the Spirit will receive of the Spirit life everlasting. Everything you do is a seed. The harvest doesn't always show up immediately. That's why sin, especially sexual sin, is so deceiving, because you make that choice, and then you don't see the result immediately. So you get further in and further in, and further in, now you're trapped. Sin always takes you longer and takes you further than you ever plan to go or plan to stay. And it costs you more than you were ever willing to pay. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Why, I just like the way he talks better than my husband talks. I actually like the way she dresses better than my wife dresses. Quiet in the house of God. Say, well, the grass is greener than water your own. And be careful, it could just be spray painted. Not everything you see is real. And that applies in every sense of the definitions. That hair may not be what they grew. It's theirs, because they bought it. And I'm talking about men and women. Ladies, don't get deceived by that beard. It's like, oh, look at that beard. Man, that beard is great. It can, it can come off. It's glue these days. It's like that old Fresh Prince episode. They got caught down there in the earthquake and everything started coming out. He's like, well, is there anything else going to come off? <laughs> For the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. Hiya. Mm. Because, you know, gossip is a multi-billion dollar industry in this nation. And if you want to stop being addicted to drama, stop taking the drug of gossip.
We live in a clickbait culture where they put something up there. It's like, ooh. And you have to make the decision, do I really want to know about that dirt in someone else's life? No. Is that dirt going to help me? Is that dirt going to edify me? But that dirt is a piece of my flesh because now I can judge somebody else for being stupid. It makes me feel better about myself. But didn't Jesus say, judge not let you be judged? So let's think about what judging you're doing as you're reading this dirt on everybody else because it popped up on your feed. Are you actually praying for them? Are you actually helping them? Or are you just judging them? Mm, I ain't like them. Because when you do that and you're saying those things and thinking this way, you are doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. When he's saying judge not, he's talking about don't judge by unrighteous measurements. Because when you judge by unrighteous measurements, those same measurements will be what standard you are held by. Mind your own business. Working with your hands just as we instructed you before. You know something else I've decided not to do? When there's supposed drama and other ministers or preachers lies, I'm not reading the article. Because you know how they make money is by you reading the article and the advertisement. And I've been around long enough to know they don't always say what's true. I remember one situation 15 years ago in another place that they were accusing somebody of something I knew was already wrong. But because I knew everybody involved, I knew what they were accusing of. So I called one of the people. I said, are you okay? Because I knew it was already wrong. And they were accusing this woman of God from having an inappropriate relationship with somebody younger than her. They were accusing her of this, even though both were adults. She was, they were accusing her of this, and I knew the person. And I said, are you okay? Because I know what this is doing to you. So I don't know why they would say this. This person to me is like an aunt. She stepped in to help me after coming out of a situation of abuse. I didn't have anything, and she bought everything for me. But the news and the accuser would have you believe that they were in immorality. You can't just read and believe everything you see. Some was just put out there so you can click and make the money. And what happens when you feed on those things? Now, when you come to hear the word of God, now you're suspect. Well, I don't know if what they're saying is true. So you suspect of the word of God, but you believe everything the news said. You suspect of the word of God, but you believe everything the politicians say. People love to talk about discernment, except when it comes to these real issues. Well, I felt something. That's not the definition of discernment. You're going to have to learn how to be sober-minded. Because alcohol and weed is not the only things people can get drunk and high off of. You can get high and drunk off of the news, off of the drama, off of everything that is peddled to you from politicians and the news media. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying all politicians and news media are bad. Hear me, I'm not saying that. But you have to learn how to turn things off. You have to learn how to put your own phone down. Or if you don't know how to put your phone down, set limits on your phone. Says, I only need to look at this app for this amount of time. You need to exhibit self control if you're going to live the life God has for you and experience the difference that's coming, the difference of extreme goodness and provision that sets you apart for what goes on in the world. Ephesians chapter 5. 
He even got to my first point yet. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm just opening up the series. This is just part one. Does your circus have a ringmaster? Next week, we're going to talk about how to juggle. Because how many know in life you got to juggle some things? But next week, we'll talk about the series. And if when you're juggling, you have to know what you can drop. Do you know what you can drop or not do? So if you're juggling, and you're juggling a vase from the Ming Dynasty, and one of those old plastic balls from Chuck E. Cheese back in the day when they had the ball pit, and you're juggling those things, how many know you can drop those Chuck E. Cheese plastic ball? But you better hold on to that vase. Do you know what's breakable and what is durable? That's next week's message. And on the third week, now y'all need to show up. Don't say, I just feel led to Miss Church these next two weeks. No, you better show up. You better watch online. See, I know people who are watching online right now in person don't say, I just feel led to go out of town. No, this will be done before Thanksgiving starts, so don't try to skip out and blame it on Granny's fried chicken. No, we'll be done with this series before Thanksgiving comes down the pipe. Before you're in your macaroni and cheese and your sweet potato pies and your pecan pies, no. We're gonna talk about some things so Thanksgiving is not full of drama. And on the third week, we're gonna talk about funhouse mirrors. Because if you don't see yourself correctly, you won't be able to do what the word says. And some of you see yourself like you're in a funhouse mirror where it shows you distorted. And your distorted view of yourself is keeping you from experiencing the life God has for you. So that's a couple weeks. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. So just why, like kids copy their parents, Paul's saying you copy God. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. So let none, none, this doesn't belong among you. So let me talk to the singles who are living together. I'm not just talking to young people. Some of you trying to make excuses because you're older and says, well, I do need someone to watch out for me. I could fall. I told you I am coming for you today. Not just those in this room, but you online. Do not, don't log off right now. Don't you log off right now. Don't make excuses. Just put it on the background. I need you to pay attention. Eyes right here. Sin is still sin no matter what excuse you make for it. So you ask the question, so y'all been dating for a while. Now you're living together. Why aren't you married? Well, weddings are expensive. Who said you got to pay money for a wedding? You know, I do weddings in my office all the time. And it's free. <laughs> free. Takes 10 minutes at max. So what is your excuse? Well, I want everybody to be there. Well, how about you get married and honor God first and then plan a celebration later when you can afford it? Or how about just how about you don't get in debt to go into the wedding, but you plan for a marriage and a life? Maybe that just might be better. Now, if you have the money to create a Cinderella wedding, then 
enjoy it. But if that's not you, don't let that, because you don't have that money, keep you in sin. Why I need help figuring it out? That's why we got counseling. Well, if you counsel me, you know my business. Trust me, I'm where secrets go to die. I know a lot of business, and I just, oh, well, just keep it on the inside. Let's see. Mm-hmm, I am. Someone's like, oh, let the pastor finish already. Let him finish already. It's not because you're hungry. It's like, he's stepping on all my toes. Let's go down to verse 10. Oh, no, no, verse 6, verse 6. There we go. That's a good one. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. And so specifically, he's talking about people of the world who make excuses for sinful lifestyles. Says, don't be fooled by it. No matter if it's your favorite politician who says it. So I just like the way they talk. I feel good about myself when they talk. Well, that's good. But if what they say is wrong, don't be fooled by it. They may make excuses for living in sin because they need the vote. But don't you be fooled by that excuse. For once you were full of darkness, but you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Now, it's not saying expose other people's deeds in darkness. Expose your own. Not to social media, but expose it in your life with the word of God. With the light of the Spirit of God. When you realize what you're doing is wrong, call it wrong. That's what it means to confess your sins. That's why it says if you judge yourself, you won't be judged. Well, how do you judge yourself? What I just did is wrong. God, I admit it is wrong. It is against your word. It's against the way you want me to live. I call it wrong. I agree with you it's wrong. And I ask that you forgive me for being wrong. And you know what it says? If you do that, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you. He will cancel that debt of your sin. But that means you need to agree with God that is wrong. And not agree with a culture that says it's right. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Your wind-down Wednesdays have been costing you. You can find room to buy your favorite alcohol, but you can't find room to budget your money right. 
That's a problem. That's a problem and an addiction. And you need to get help. There's no shame in getting help. The only shame that exists is when you refuse to get help. Well, I'm going to do it by myself. If you could, you've already done it. So get the help that you need. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God, the Father, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so now this is usually when we start talking about the family unit. But notice all the stuff he said before he got to the family unit. And if you're not doing these things, it's going to make it hard for you to have a successful, prosperous family unit. Because everything he says here on out in chapter 5 and into the first part of chapter 6 are about people who live in the same house. He's addressed the church. Now he's going to take it to the house. But notice, for your house to be right, you need to be part of the church. See, even when Paul addresses here in Ephesians and in Thessalonians, and then Peter addresses it in his letters, it's all in the context of being part of a faith family. Psalm says it this way, God loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. He says he loves the dwellings of Jacob. What are those? Those are the little houses, those are the individual houses and families throughout the nation of Israel. But he loves the gates of Zion because that's where all his people get together. And so the thing is, you'll experience wonderful things in your house, but he has something special for you when you gather together with the other houses. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read through this quickly for the sake of time. Man. So I already talked fast, but I need you guys to listen faster. Got it? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Because we saw in Ephesians 5 where it says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. No, it said one another. But before we can actually talk about submission, let's lay some groundwork here that Peter shows. Wives likewise are in the same way. So one of the things, when you see the word likewise, because Peter uses it a few times in this letter, he picks up on a concept that he shared earlier in chapter 2. So before he ever talked about submitting, he talked about respect and honor for everyone. Respect and honor for those who are in authority. Love for your fellow believers and reverence for God. So before he could ever talk about submission, these are the things he talked about. Because some of you, like you want your kids to submit to you. But your kids have a hard time submitting to you because you've not shown them what submission looks like. Your kids have a hard time honoring you because you haven't shown them what honor looks like. Because if you're not providing an example of honor, all they learn is what kids will teach them. And we only have them for about two hours every week if you bring them. So I don't have a hard time honoring. Well, how do you honor your boss? Your kids hear more than you think. And every time you get home, you complain about what your boss or your manager did. And what you're saying is not an honorable disagreement, but is you just venting and talking about how horrible they are? Huh. When you talk about politics, whether it's the mayor or the governor, people running, do they always hear you talk nasty about them? Let's talk about law enforcement. Are you always talking about the bad things? 
Have you ever mentioned any of the good things? So when it comes to any level of authority in your life, what have your kids heard from your mouth and your example? Are you always disrespecting and dishonoring authority? If so, they will disrespect your authority. And it's like, I didn't raise them like that. Yes, you did. You have to give them an example of honor if you want them to follow the example of honor. You have to show them how to honorably disagree and still live your life in honor. So before we can even talk about submission, there's the concept of honor. Because honor is supposed to flow through the house of God and in your house. Even if we live in a dishonorable culture, honor should still be found among the people of God. I can disagree with almost everything a politician says, but still know how to honor them. Still refer to them by the title or their office or Mr. or Miss or Mrs. Honor. They may not agree with anything they stand for, but it will not be a lack of honor towards them. Even if I just have to honor the office they hold, then I honor the office they hold. Honor. Honor is important. Because how many know you want your kids to honor you even when you have a stupid day? Because you know you have stupid days. Anybody have stupid days before? But you want them to honor you, not because you did something stupid, but because of the position you hold in their lives. And if you start this while they're younger, they will have no problem honoring you when they're older. Some of you are running into issues now with your kids honoring you because of the example of honor you set 30 years ago. Say honor. honor. Come on, let's put it in the chat and say it again. Say honor. honor. And so it said honor everyone. So that means you honor everyone no matter what the position they hold, whether they are the CEO or president, whether they're a person who doesn't have a job right now. You show honor because you're an honorable person. Whether they deserve honor or not, you show honor. That's why the scriptures for those who deserve it show double honor. We're supposed to be honorable people. We're supposed to honor everyone. And then it says honor and respect those who are in authority. Every level of authority we should show honor and respect to because that's what we're called to do by the scriptures. You see that in 1 Peter chapter 2. And then after that he says, love the brotherhood or love the brethren. Love your fellow believers. Honor and love. You have to love one another. A part of loving one another is putting up with each other. Because somebody puts up with you. You say, oh, I, you know, that brother, that's just, they have this issue. Well, you got some issues too. You might have a whole subscription, but you got some issues too. So in the midst of that, you have to love and honor each other. That's why the scriptures bear with one another or put up with each other. That's why all scriptures forgive one another. You know, some of you have trouble loving and honoring and managing your circus because you've never set up boundaries. And if you always get caught up in the chaos of the circus and the crisis and you never set down boundaries, your life will always be chaotic. So that means you have to have boundaries. 
You can love and honor everyone, but it doesn't mean you got to tell everyone your business. You have to set boundaries over your life, over your time, over your finances. And you have to make it clear with what you do, especially as you raise your kids, especially as they get older. You need to set boundaries on what you're going to do financially and what you won't. And we're picking up something we shared yesterday in the marriage conference. If you feel guilty because of something that you didn't do when they were younger, then you need to make up your own mind what you're going to do to make up for it and not live under guilt and manipulation. I talked to someone a few years ago, and they're up in age, and they're talking to me about something that someone in their family kept bringing up to them. I said, you can't let them do that to you. That's manipulation. They 60-something. They talk about the fourth grade. That's manipulation. But if you keep seeing yourself like the funhouse mirrors, you will let yourself be manipulated. And if there's some things you need to make up for, then fine, make up for it. But set some boundaries of what you're going to do. And, you know, parents, you really get appreciative for grandparents, especially when they come and babysit those kids, don't you? Anybody thankful for that? Anybody can thankful and testify to thank God for grandparents? Yes, thank you, Lord. Our parents are watching online. Thank you all. Thank you so much. But even when it comes to that, make schedules clear. What can you do and what can't you do? What will you do and what won't you do? That has to be clear from both sides. So for the younger generation of parents, you have to be clear with your parents how you want your kids to be raised and parented. That means the older generation has to be willing to submit to that for how they want their kids raised. But also that means the younger generation, you can't always just call your parents at the last minute because you weren't good at planning. We understand emergencies, but you gotta set boundaries. You have to plan. This is honor, this is love, this is respect. This is what goes into actually submitting to one another. This is what even informs what it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. But notice it said wives to husbands. And it didn't say all women to men, because some people get that twisted. So ladies, if you're married, the only person you're supposed to submit to in this reference is your own husband. This is not talking about what gender is better than the other. It's talking about order in a house. And so when you think about it, because even Peter uses it this way, he says, you know, it tells husbands, show honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. Doesn't mean the woman is weak. The woman is anything but weak. I thought I'd get a few more amens than that online. I said, the woman is anything but weak. But how many know you treat that plastic ball from the ball pit of Chuck E. Cheese differently than you would handle a vase from the Ming Dynasty? It's fragile, it's precious. So husbands, handle your wife like she's precious. Show honor to her like she's precious. Don't treat her like that ancient ball from the ball pit of Chuck E. Cheese. And notice when Peter reads through this, you guys can read through it later, 1 Peter chapter 3, because I'm out of time. 
that he say in the same way. So in the same way you show honor and respect and reverence and love that you want your wife to show to you, this is how you show to her. It's not somebody's under someone else's foot. Ladies, you're not supposed to dominate your husbands, and husbands, you're not supposed to dominate your wives. You are heirs together of the grace of life, Peter says. So that means you walk together. You both have the Spirit of God. You're both called by God, but you have to learn how to work together. And you'll be able to do that if you actually honor. So the conversation you're going to have by the time you get in the car and take off your church face <laughs> is the conversation you have with your spouse honorable? Is the conversation you have with your kids honorable? Well, they did something stupid. Well, how do you like someone to talk to you when you do something stupid? Even when you have to discipline your kids, are you disciplining them from a part of honor or from aggravation? Even says Ephesians chapter 6, do not provoke your children to wrath, but raise them up in the fear and the admonition and the nurture of the Lord. So even when it comes to correcting and raising and discipline, honor has to flow. Love has to flow. Some of you have a hard time doing that because that's not how you were disciplined or raised. And you have to see something different. That's why we're going to talk about on the third week, that fun house. Because so many of us, no matter what your skin color is or your level of your skin color, we are passing down habits that came from the plantation. And you're disciplining your children like they were slaves, and God's not happy about that. And it's become so pervasive in our culture, it's not just with black or white people, it's just pervasive in the culture. And so what people do, they either discipline them too harshly, or they don't discipline them at all. And both are displeasing to God. So you have to discipline them with love, with honor, and with respect, realizing that your children are also your brothers and sisters in Christ. So that means when you're handling a situation, you just might need to calm down for a second. Instead of discipline them in the moment, you might need to go to your room and send them to their room for their own sake. And when you're in your right mind and ready to handle it correctly, then you administer discipline, not from the place of anger, but from a place of honor, respect, and love. Because these are the things that make families strong. These are guiding principles that make families strong. These are the things that can help you juggle the things we talk about next week. These are the things that help you keep the circus in order. Another guiding principle I'm going to share before I close. You have to have a vision for your life. You have to have a vision for your family. First lady was sharing about this yesterday in the marriage conference. God calls families. What has he called your family to do? Let's use an example, the Winans family. What has God called them to do? Sing tremendously under the anointing of God and create anthems that we've sung for decades now. 
The whole family can sing like that. The whole family can throw down. We know God calls families. He's called your family. What has he called them to do? What has he called you to do? Do you know? I remember growing up, one of the things I heard from my parents, I remember they said this, especially when me and my brothers were teenagers. He says, we exist to fund the gospel. That's what I kept hearing. And so we were, they were like, we'll prosper so we can fund the gospel. So most of my life, my parents worked in corporate America. And so I would hear this all the time, and I would see them give way above their tithes and offering all the time. Because they say, we exist to fund the gospel. And then they find other ways to be a blessing. Find other ways to give away. If they knew somebody was in a situation, they wanted to bless that person, they knew that the person would receive it from them if they thought it came from them, so they would purposely misspell somebody's name. So they think it couldn't come from that. They were hiding who actually gave so they could be a blessing. I remember a time that my parents pulled me aside and they talked to me about my children's ministry. They said, has she been a great blessing in your life? I said, yes, she has. Say, you're good. Well, Bishop's been talking about us honoring those who have been a blessing to our family and we're going to write her a check. That's what I saw lived out. And so that's why it even comes to me and my brothers, we have no problem giving big because that's what we saw. And that's what we taught. This is why we're here for. And that's why we'll keep prospering. And so I'm very well aware there are harvests in my life from seeds I haven't sown that my parents did. Both set of grandparents did. Both of my grandparents were big givers to the kingdom of God. Ridiculously so. I'm reaping generational harvest. You have to know what is your family called to do? Whether you're single or married, whether you have kids, whether you're at the point where your kids are already grown out of your house, what are you called to do? Because when you have that guiding principle, you know how to move forward. And when you have that guiding principle, you're not just going through the motions, you're actually heading to your future. And God has a future for you that is the brightest he can make. But what guides you to the future is knowing why you exist. And, you know, sometimes generational calls get passed down. And so although I still exist to fund the gospel, I know specifically some of the things that my wife and I, our kids, are called to do. We're called to bring people into encounters with the living God. That's one of the things we're called to do. But then there's also generational blessings that come from spiritual parents as well. That we're also called to teach God's people faith. He'll give you calls but you have to fulfill it. And if you guide your lives by the principle of honor, love, and reverence, and you always strive for holiness, you'll be able to do what God has called you to do. And I'll say this in closing. In 1 Thessalonians, I believe, no, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the way it ends in the New Living Translation, Paul said, I'm praying that you will always live worthy of the call and that God will enable you to do everything your faith prompts you to do. So your faith is going to prompt you to do some things. But if you don't live worthy of the call, that means you're not striving for holiness, you're just trying to live like the culture. You're going to miss out on the best God has for you. The ringmaster, yes, is Jesus, but it's the authority of his word. It's submitting to his word. And then it's applying those guiding principles you see in the notes to live the life he's called you to live.
stand to your feet. I want to remind you to read along with this devotional with me tomorrow. I think I got halfway through my notes today. About halfway. <laughs> we'll pick up next week as we talk about the juggler. And then we'll talk about the final week, the mirrors. Because God has plans for our family. I want to talk to you who feel bad about some decisions you made. It's not over. God can fix it. God can make your family right. He can heal your family even if you've done horrible things up to this moment you walked in this building. It's not too late for you to receive the restoration of God. So what you have to do is yield to these principles we said today. If you messed, it, messed up, you can close your eyes right now. If you messed up in some of these things, just ask God to forgive you and he will. Ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you fix it. That I truly believe this holiday season doesn't have to be filled with drama for you with your family. That you can actually have joy when your family gathers. You can actually have a good time. God wants you to have a family life you enjoy. Don't let the things we share today rob you from what he has for you. Live by the guiding principles of the word of God. Praise the name of the Lord. Father, I thank you for the sense of hope I feel for the end of this year and next year, for the plans you have for us as individuals, for families, and as a church. Help us to walk out those plans. Help us to live by the guiding principles. Father, there's so much more to say, and I ask that you say it to them throughout this day, that you speak to them through the night season, that you speak through them in the morning, and help them even as they make plans for this holiday season. Because we can only live this life by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your help. We can't do this by ourselves. So as Paul asked, I ask that you enable them to live in a way that pleases you, that they may do all the things their faith prompts them to do, that they may live worthy of the call upon their lives, the call upon their families, the call upon this church. We give you all the glory and praise for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. I believe today's message has encouraged you, it's strengthened you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast, and then we have our daily devotional podcast, which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on our many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, and remember, something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.